Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, good Tuesday, May 30th, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Weekend Sports Round Podcast. I'm your host, Jimmy Timberlake, Jimmy Limbersnake, James Timberlake. Hello, everybody. Uh, I got to say, first off, please remember to rate, subscribe to uh, this podcast, wherever you get your podcast. You can listen to this anywhere on any of those podcasting platforms. I've repeated numerous times. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, uh, Stitcher, you know, any anywhere you want to listen to this, you can listen to this podcast wherever you go. Uh, and if you are listening to in it, to this on any of those podcasting platforms, please remember to uh, leave a rating five stars, and I would greatly appreciate that uh, and help us get into the trending section of a lot of those podcasting platforms. Uh, we're sponsored by Jack and Kathleen Wood at 307 Real Estate. Big thank you to them, and uh, make sure you check them out for all of your real estate needs here in the Sheridan area. If you're looking to buy or sell, they're the people to contact for your real estate needs. So it is Tuesday, the Tuesday after Memorial Day. Uh, I don't know if there is a harder day in the old calendar than the Tuesday after Memorial Day. Man, this is it feels like Monday. I mean, it, basically every day that's after a day off is basically Monday, right? I mean, the the more you look at it, essentially, it just feels the same as a Monday. But man, I was I was I was slogging along. This morning, it did not feel great. Uh, we had a great weekend of sports, but uh, once the weekend end on Memorial Day, I was I Tuesday arose. Uh, Tuesday morning happened, and I was like, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I can do this. And I was I was I was dre- I was dreading, dreading and dredging along uh, in the morning, trying to get ready for uh, work on Tuesday morning. I don't know if there's a lot worse, uh, other worse days after Memorial Day than the one that's after Memorial Day. The weekday after Memorial Day is tough. It's a tough day. But the three-day weekend is nice. You can't you can't go wrong with the three-day weekend. There's not there's not many better feelings. Like, there's a great contrast between the great feelings of a three-day weekend and then the day of the end of the three-day weekend. So the Tuesday after if you're having it on a Monday, uh that's uh that's tough. The Tuesday after is tough. And then even the Monday after like a Friday three-day weekend. Still tough. Very, very difficult to get through. But here we are. Nonetheless, we're gonna talk sports because that's kind of the point of the whole thing, you know, that's the point of the whole podcast. Uh, so let's kick it off. Probably the biggest, not probably, definitely the biggest sporting event of the weekend. Everybody was tuned in. I have no idea that that's true, but a lot of people were t- tuned in to the Heat against the Celtics in Game 7 in Boston. Uh, what a game. It, well, not actually, it wasn't a very good game. Uh, after basically... Jason Tatum went down with an injury in the very first play of the game for the Celtics. And I don't want to say it was a wrap from there, but I mean, it was uh, a lot of people were saying, obviously he was a shell of himself and he was, he did not play very well. Um, But I mean, you still got enough pieces there to at very least you'd think the Celtics to be able to beat the, the Miami heat in that scenario. If Jason Tatum is not playing as well, and they've shown that they have been able to do that uh, in previous games in the series. So, for Jalen Brown, Al Horford, uh, all those guys to really just not show up either for that game seven was very disappointing. They they had uh, the the entire starting five basically for that uh, for that team was was not good in that game. Brown ended up shooting eight for twenty three in forty three minutes. He only had nineteen points. Uh, Derek White, who who was the the hero in game six, basically saved. For however, I mean, the the game long it lasted, uh, saved the Celtics season in game six with the tip in buzzer beater at the end of game six. He had 18 points, five of 12 shooting. 
Horford was three for eight with eight points. Marcus Smart was four for 10 with nine points. They shot a collective nine for 42 from three, uh, 21%. And you are almost never, ever, 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 ever going to win a playoff game, an NBA game, nonetheless a playoff game, shooting 21% from three while shoot jacking up 42 threes. It's just almost never going to happen. Uh, Jason Tatum, like I said, he got hurt in the first like first play in the entire game, and that was and that was more or less pretty much it for uh, Boston when it came to this game. They led, I believe it was 9 to, like the last lead that they had was 11 to 10 with like 4.02, almost three and a half minutes left in the first quarter, and then the Heat took the lead with uh, with three and a half minutes left in the third quarter, or in the first quarter, and they didn't, They did the, the Celtics weren't able to come back from that. Basically, the Heat led the entire rest of the game, went on a crazy run, and they were able to hold off, led by basically 10 to 20 points the entire rest of the game. So uh, that game was basically over once Tatum went down with an injury, and he was kind of a shell of himself. But then also the fact that nobody else around him on that Celtics team was able to step up in that moment, uh, especially Jalen Brown. He was... Kind of a disaster in this game. Like I said, he had 19 points, but he shot eight for 23, one for nine from three. Uh, there are big question marks around this team, the Celtics at this point, because I don't know what you do with the construction of the team that you have now. Do you run it back with a lot of the people you have? You're going to have to try to re-sign Brown uh, if he wants to come back to Boston. He's not on a rookie contract or a rookie deal anymore, so he's going to have to be uh, brought back on a new deal. And is he worth in that sense? Here's just a... And this is a, you know, uh, I'm kind of picking my numbers here. Um, but in the Eastern Conference Finals, in this Eastern Conference Finals, Jalen Brown, uh, he averaged 19 points per game, 6.1 rebounds per game, 3.4 assists per game. He shot 41% from the field in the entire series and 16% from three. 16, not 60, 16% from three. Caleb Martin for the Miami Heat, the small forward for the Miami Heat. Uh, 19.3 points per game, 6.4 rebounds per game, 1.7 assists per game on 60.2% shooting and 48% from three. Am I saying Caleb Martin's the better player? Absolutely not. I don't think he's the better player long term or anything like that. Jalen Brown was much better in the regular season. And, you know, and for most of the postseason, he's been a better player than Caleb Martin. But, uh, there is something to be said about the fact that you get into the Eastern Conference finals and, your number two guy is not putting up the same numbers as a guy that was uh, basically signed, I think to like a vet minimum playing small forward for the eight seeded heat. There's a problem there that can't uh, your number two, number two guy has to be better than that. And then uh, a guy that a lot of people believe that should be, could eclipse to be a number one over Tatum at certain times. Um, He can't be doing that. Uh, Can't be shooting 41% from the floor in the Eastern Conference Finals when they absolutely need him the most. Uh, And trying to come back from a 3-0 deficit uh, didn't help either. They Basically, Celtics gave the Heat all the momentum. They almost came back and won it, but again, after Tatum got got injured in that first play, it was was game over for the Celtics. The season was over. Uh, So, in my opinion, I would be, I would... I would not be stunned, I guess is what I should say, if they didn't bring it back. There's already reports that Jalen Brown, uh, the Celtics are expected to re-sign Jalen Brown because I'm assuming they're going to be making changes uh, at the head coaching position because Missoula was kind of a uh, a, a shoe-in once Ime Udoka got dismissed from the team due to uh, personal reasons uh, dealing with a, uh, there was a, an in an in uh, an in organization relationship going on uh, with somebody in the organization and Ime Odoka, even though he was married, that became a whole situation that really uh, I don't want to say that capsized the entire ship per se for the Celtics uh, because you know you got to be able to that sort of thing 
put it on. I mean, it happened at the very beginning of the season and you have to be able to kind of overcome that sort of stuff. If you want, and maybe not that extreme, but if you want to be able to become NBA champions, people go through certain things in the front office every single year. That's just, I mean, it's commonplace in the NBA. The NBA is one massive soap opera. Now, granted that was one of the biggest stories before the season started or at the beginning of the season was what they were going to do with Ime Adoka. He led them to the NBA finals just a year prior. He was the head coach of the future, quote unquote for the Celtics. So um, that was a very big issue, but again, the NBA is filled with stories like that. It is story after story of soap opera type writing and, uh, and stuff like that in the NBA. So you have to be able to overcome that sort of thing. If you want to become NBA champions and the fact that, uh, I would, I would imagine Joe Missoula is probably gone after the season, which is, I mean, the, 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 the NBA coaching carousel in, like I said, it's a soap opera. The coaching carousel in the NBA is unbelievable. Nick nurse got fired from the Toronto Raptors, and now he's going to be head coach for the Philadelphia 76ers. Doc Rivers is getting interviewed. Doc Rivers is getting interviews again. He's getting interviews again for head coaching positions. That 2007-2008 NBA championship that he won with the Boston Celtics is doing an unbelievable job. I don't know what he does in NBA in job interviews to become head coach, but whatever he does, he needs to teach a class because it is incredible. Nobody is better at getting into positions that he probably doesn't, I don't want to say he doesn't deserve, but there are better candidates for than Doc Rivers because Doc Rivers, the merits of that 2007, 2008 championship with the Boston Celtics 15 years ago is really, really driving. I mean, it may, it's probably not the only thing. I'm not a person that, I mean, obviously I'm not a head coaching savant by any means, but man, I mean, we've seen, him fail in the playoffs time and time and time and time again on multiple teams. And the fact that he is still being looked at as top head coaching candidates for multiple teams, whether it was the Suns, I believe uh, the Milwaukee Bucks are look, we're looking at him. They just hired a new coach as well, but they were looking at him as well. It is incredible. I can't believe that the people were still falling for the Doc Rivers trick every offseason. It, it is a staple of the offseason. If, if Doc Rivers is a head coaching candidate and he is available, there is a possibility that he is going to be interviewed for a head coaching job and possibly get said coaching job. That is a staple of all Doc Rivers free uh, off seasons in the NBA. It's it's one of the most incredible things. The fact that he is repeatedly getting jobs in um, in coaching in the NBA that that 2007 2008 NBA championship is doing wonders for his resume. And I don't know what he says in those interviews, but I, he's got he's got to teach a class. He's got to show people how to interview for jobs because he would get people millions of jobs. He would he would increase the job rate by tenfold if he was giving classes about how to get jobs in uh, in in the country for uh, for different positions. He's one of the best in the world at it. Um, but yeah, it's just the, the NBA in general, it being a soap opera, and the fact that it's just a rolling carousel of head coaches that come in and come out of every single organization. Nick Nurse is going to be uh, tossed around the league over and over again. Same thing, similar to Doc Rivers. It, it just feels like that is what's going to... And I wouldn't be surprised at this point if uh, Monty Williams found a spot as well. I don't know who else is hiring at this point. I think it, oh, Toronto's still hiring, so he could end up in Toronto. Milwaukee just hired their head coach, so he won't go, on, go to Milwaukee. I think there's a couple other head coaching candidates. But Monty Williams is good enough to be a head coach in this league, and he's going to find a spot. And it's just going to be a, 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 rolling, uh, a rolling swap of head coaches in the NBA. It's one of the weirdest things uh, in in all of major sports. It's not, it's different for the NBA more than any other league 
that we see. Maybe the NFL, the NFL God has it going on a little bit as well. There are certain guys, the MLB, that kind of get tossed around a little bit. NHL has that issue as well, from what I understand. Not really an issue, but definitely has that uh, that uh, that trend. But uh, the NBA, it feels like it's worse than than a lot of them for that for that reason. It is insane how much the the head coaches, especially the um, the mediocre two good ones, the ones that feel like they're just on the cusp of finding something, they'll find a job and then boom. And it's the same thing. I, th- there are definitely similarities to like Nick nurse and uh, doc rivers. When it comes to that sense, Nick nurse might have a job in this league for the rest of his career because of what he was able to drag that Raptors team in uh, 2019, 2020 with Kawhi Leonard to an NBA championship. He might, he might never need a job again because he might as similar to doc rivers that might do to uh, numbers for him that might get him jobs everywhere in this league in order to uh, for because of that championship that he won with the Raptors in 2019 2020 so it'll be interesting to see what the Celtics do I don't I think Missoula is going to be moved on from because of how much of a problem according to reports that that became and uh, the fact that he was coaching and not Ime Yudoka Um, and the fact that Ime Yudoka ended up getting a job with the Rockets really kind of put that entire uh, situation in a tailspin because the Celtics players were standing around looking like, well, if he can coach for the Rockets, why can't he coach for us anymore? Which is, you know, there could be an argument to be made with with that, but uh, you know, that's neither here nor there. He's coaching for the Rockets now, so who cares? Um, so I think the Celtics will probably move on from Joe Mazzulla again. He he felt like a shoe in when uh, when when Ime Odoka got got dismissed from that team. So it'll be interesting to see. I don't know who they'll go and get that's going to take this team forward. You know what it could be? It could be Doc Rivers. I would not be stunned if they brought in Doc Rivers and said, hey, reunion team, welcome back to the Celtics. Try to win another one for us. That wouldn't blow my mind. I honestly wouldn't blow my mind. I wouldn't be stunned if that happened. But maybe Monty Williams, I wouldn't be against that either. I wouldn't be against him coming in for the Celtics either for to, to become head coach. But again, I am of the belief that other than Monty Williams, because he's still pretty young when it comes to head coaching game, um, there is something to be said about going out of your way um, and trying to find the next great head coaching candidate instead of over, you know, trying to test the waters for somebody that's been doing this for a long time with them being rehired, if that makes sense. So Doc Rivers, a prime example of that. Well, maybe he'll work with us. That sort of that sort of mentality that comes in with that situation is, in my opinion, it's bad because those people are crazy creatures of habit uh, and change for them uh, usually does not happen when it comes to head coaches because they are creatures of habit. And uh, that is not something that they're usually very good at adjusting to trying to change, to become better, to adjust for the team that they have versus the team adjusting to what the coach has. It seems like that's become a problem for uh, doc rivers and other coaches in the league that have, you know, gone on to be fired for that same sort of situation. So It'll be it'll be interesting. I'm I I think the Celtics. I'm hoping the Celtics. I'm not a Celtics fan, but I think in order for them to take a next step, the next step in order to make it back to the finals and then ultimately win the finals, one. I don't think Jalen Brown's the answer. I think they should be okay with moving on from Jalen Brown. To be honest with you, I I I don't know. There's not a lot of big names in free agency this upcoming season that you can really slot in there and be a good fit. Brown still, I mean, and the other thing is Brown still has a year left on his contract. He's going to be making twenty eight and a half million. He's eligible for that super max extension. Uh, but again, I don't know if that is something the Celtics would want to exploit. I think he, if he does sign that max extension, he'd be, uh, he'd be making five years. It'd be five years, two hundred ninety point three million dollars 
um, in the summer. So to me, um, I, I think obviously you stick with Tatum, you stick with a, a lot of the other guys that are still under contract. I think right now for the Celtics, for them that are not under contract, they still they have a club option and uh, on Mike Muscala, who's you know whatever. Uh, I mean, I mean, you know, not not a prominent name in when it comes to their playoff roster. Danilo Gallinari, obviously, which is somebody they probably would have desperately wanted uh, with his three shooting three point shooting ability. So we might see him back. That might be a good addition to that team. Uh, Grant Williams is a free uh, restricted free agent, so I would assume they're probably going to match whatever uh, team comes through and throws money at Grant Williams. Um, but in free agency, I mean, I, Draymond Green is a free agent this season, and I think that would be a great fit for this team because it seems like they need somebody like that. Uh, the, you know, KG vet, quote unquote, Al Horford's kind of that right now, but he's not, especially on the defensive side, he's not that kind of guy, the same guy that Draymond Green is. I think that would be a good signing for them. Uh, if not him, I mean, Chris Middleton's a free agent. I would be stunned if he doesn't go back to Milwaukee, but he is technically a free agent right now uh, coming up this summer. But Draymond Green, would, I think, would be a, a great fit for them in terms of um, being that guy that can make them take the next step because of what everything that he does on the defensive side of the floor and then also on the offensive side of the floor. He doesn't do... I mean, he's not going to help your shooting problem at all by any means, but he is going to lock down the middle of the floor when it comes to... Um, uh, the defensive side of the ball, which was clearly a problem uh, in the series against the Heat. So I think that would be a great signing for them. Again, not helping your shooting problem by any means, but it, it is pretty rare to see a team shoot as poorly as they did throughout this entire series, uh, the Celtics, in, including, yeah, like I said, 9 for 42 in Game 7, the NBA Finals. So, And again, if Danilo Gallinari comes back after he suffered a torn ACL, uh, early in the season or before the season even started, and with he, if he comes back and plays the Celtics, if he's you know ha- if he's even the close to the guy that he was before he went out, that would be a great addition to this team, uh, adding more shooting to them. Um, so it'll it, we'll see we'll see what the we'll see what the Celtics do, but there it is it is this is the most important time for them. This is the 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 moment right now for the Celtics is going to be what either puts them in the driver's seat to become you know, a dynasty for years to come with two of the two very prominent players, two young, very prominent players on their roster and Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, or a team that is, uh, will look back on and be like, wow, that was a disappointing run with a guy like Jason Tatum, who is seemingly going to be one of the better shooting guards slash small forwards in this league for years to come. Ladies and gentlemen, it is time for a break to hear from one of our sponsors. That is right. A sponsor of the program. We have our first sponsor on this program in the history of the program, and it is Jack and Kathleen Wood at 307 Real Estate. Now, look, ladies and gentlemen, I get it. You got to navigate the real estate market. It is impossible. Everybody on House Hunters makes it look super easy. They just go into three different houses and they pick the house they want. Boom, bang, boom. Episode's over. They have a house. It's not that easy, ladies and gentlemen. And Jack and Kathleen Wood will be able to help you throughout that process. And even the people in House Hunters, they have a real estate agent. And these people, Jack Wood, Kathleen Wood, at 307 Real Estate could be your House Hunter-esque real estate agent. So if you're looking to buy real estate, sell real estate in the Sheridan area, these are the two people you should call. Jack at 307-763-1249 and Kathleen at 307 461 
three. So listeners, one of the only things I'll ask from you is to support the people that support the show. And that includes these two, Jack and Kathleen Wood at 307 Real Estate. Thank you very much for the sponsorship and make sure you contact them for all of your real estate needs at 307-763-1249 and 307-461-7203. Okay, so the Celtics loss sets up a NBA Finals that I think a lot of people, at least for the Western Conference Finals, the Western Conference champion, they were probably expecting. But the Eastern Conference champion, uh, no. Out of, from out of nowhere, the Miami Heat, they just get hot at the right time. Jimmy Butler ends up playing like a Jordan Light, Kobe Bryant in the playoffs. Uh, Bam Adebayo, he shows up at times, but then randomly, you know, the the Heat continue to just find these guys from out of nowhere, from the slums of of NBA or of, of basketball of the basketball world. Caleb Martin's the the uh, the Duncan Robinsons, the the Gabe Vincents of the world just show up out of nowhere, and they end up playing very important minutes and end up playing very well. Caleb Martin. A small forward played 40 feet, played more minutes than anybody else on the entire Heat team, played 45 minutes in the game seven. He shot 11 for 16 with 26 points, 10 rebounds, and uh, three assists. Can you anybody here tell me where Caleb Martin went to school, where he went to school, and where he was drafted in the NBA draft? I'll wait. I'll give you just a second. Just kidding. That was a trick question. Uh, he went to Nevada, and he went undrafted. And then the Miami Heat out of nowhere come in, swoop in. They see him. They're like, hey, we like this guy. Let's let's pick him up. They sign him three years, $20.5 million, which is looking like a fantastic deal at the moment. He only averaged almost 10 points a game in the regular season, but it, it's just weird. I mean, I don't get it. The Heat just find these guys who come out of nowhere and they're just, they pop in. They say, hey, I'm actually really good at basketball. And then the Heat just exploit it in the best way possible. They find ways to make these guys fantastic basketball players, and then they just go on and have run after run after run, year after year after year, have these runs in the playoffs that uh, just, they come out of nowhere. They come out of nowhere. And Let's not forget either. They have been without Tyler Hero for most of this playoff run. He got injured like early in the Bucks series at the beginning of the season, or at the beginning of the, the playoffs. Victor Oladipo went down, and he's out for the rest of the season. Uh, I believe he tore one of the ligaments in his leg, so he's done for the rest of the season. That was in the middle of the playoffs, so they lost him as well. So they had to count on guys like Max Struess, Gabe Vincent, uh, Cody Zeller plays this team. Granted, like granted, Cody Zeller, I mean, the Zeller minutes are kind of funny at this point, uh, but Duncan Robinson from, Mi from Michigan just comes out of nowhere. Caleb Martin, like I said, in uh, Hero, even Tyler Hero was kind of, kind of came out of nowhere. With how good he ended up becoming, I don't think a lot of people expected. Um, so it's just, I, I don't, I mean, there's not a better, better organization in terms of developing um, just from out of nowhere players like the Miami Heat to just be in that moment. And they, this is a team that that will just execute you to death. Like the, Jimmy Butler is somebody that can rescue this team from, uh, you know, from, from the, the draws of the, the, the moment of elimination more or less. Uh, but the, the big thing that the heat are able to do better than anybody is basically better than everybody. I think I can say it better than anybody. They will just execute you to death. They will make the right plays, be in the right positions all the time. They don't make mistakes. And if they do make mistakes, they can get into real big trouble because they don't have, other than Jimmy Butler, a guy that they can really, really lean on to drag them out of those situations, similar to a lot of those, to, to a lot of the other teams. Like, I mean, Jokic is one of those guys. Jason Tatum should be one of those guys. Uh, and the list of Joel Embiid's one of those guys. And the list goes on. Um, but 
for whatever reason, the Miami Heat just know a way to execute, not make mistakes, and it and it's a huge testament to Eric Spolstra. That is something, I mean, heat culture, quote unquote heat culture, is a real thing. And if you watch them, they just they know where to be in the right spots. They do their job. They're the Miami Heat are similar to the to the uh to the Patriots in in the NFL. Uh you know, Patriots obviously they had Tom Brady, which is the greatest football player of all time. But uh, they were finding random guys to play wide receiver that weren't necessarily people that were known. Uh, and then they went in to the to the Patriot organization. They came in, they did their job, and they ended up playing very well for, granted, one of the best quarterbacks of all time. But in the sense that you go into the Miami Heat and you are taught heat culture, quote-unquote, uh, and you are basically taught to do your job and everything else will work around it because this is how good we are at effectively making a game plan that can beat almost anybody. And if you don't mess it up, if you don't mess up out on the court, then we will win the basket. We will win the game. If you don't mess up on defense, we will lock down just about any offense in the game. They were one of the worst offensive teams in the league in the regular season, but they developed a game plan to go through the playoffs and it has worked flawlessly for them because they are just executing these teams to death. They are letting them beat themselves and they're going and they're going to the NBA finals because of it. I mean, this team got blown out, blown out. By the Atlanta Hawks in the first play-in game. John Collins, I think, had like 20, almost, or not John Collins, excuse me, Clint Capella had like 20 plus rebounds in that game. They looked terrible. The Miami Heat looked like they were just on their way out. They were they were looking towards Cabo and excited to get on the banana boat to go to Cabo and just hang out for the rest of the summer in uh, somewhere that was sunny other than Miami and uh, and beautiful. But from from out of nowhere, they beat the Bulls. They were down in that Bulls game and the other play-in game as well. Uh, they were on the verge of losing that game. They beat the Bulls, and then they just made tight work of the Bucks in in five. They beat the Knicks in six, and then the Celtics in seven. And they led the Celtics 3-0 in that series. So, and they dominated in a lot of those in the the first three games of that series. So, it's just it's a testament to how good that organization is run. So about it, with how well they look for the most part, night in night out, if they're executing the way. Um, that they're supposed to, if they're making shots on a regular basis, they will just execute you to death. There's nobody better than the Miami Heat at doing that, where they don't have necessarily, other than Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo can be a star at times, but they're, I mean, especially in this past series with the Celtics, he has looked more like the old Bam Adebayo that makes, I think, a lot of Heat fans a little bit nervous because he has shown uh, that he's kind of regressing a little bit in that sense, where he has gotten a little uh, timid when when they, he's got a small guy on him or something like that that he should be able to post up and dominate easily. Uh, Bam Adebayo has started to show that once again, which should make uh, uh, Bulls or excuse me uh, Heat fans a little bit nervous. But when he's on, it's a two star team, obviously. But again, Jimmy Butler is the only guy that can drag them out of that situation. The rest of them just have to just have to do their job, and it's effective to the most part that they're able to do and go on and make this run. It's just it's it's a testament to how good they are. Now, granted. It's a bad matchup with the Nuggets. The Nuggets, this is a very different, this is a very bad matchup uh, that the Heat have. The Nuggets should, should, granted, the Heat should not have won really any of their series except for maybe the Knicks uh, because it's the Knicks. But, I mean, they they should not have won against the Celtics. Uh, they should not have won against the Heat, or excuse me, against the uh, the Bucks. I mean, that's just you know beforehand we were talking. Uh, they should not have won any of those series. But now, obviously, it's all kind of thrown out the window. But the Nuggets, I would say, are probably better than all those teams that they've played against. Maybe, maybe equivalent to the Bucks, uh, but you know the Bucks were dealing with injury issues as well. 
uh, and the Heat just ended up catching fire in that series and, and getting a lot of things that were breaking their way. Um, but the Nuggets, I mean, in the matchup issues that they're going to have with the Nuggets, Jokic against Bam is going to be a huge issue. Uh, the Jokic should should eat in this series. Uh, in his matchup stats, granted, the matchup stats on NBA.com aren't. They're kind of famously not the most reliable, but for this is what we do have. Uh, they've played three appearances against one, one another, and Jokic in those three appearances, he's played in 44 minutes total, 52 points, and 25 assists in those 44 minutes total. That, those are his totals, not averages, obviously, uh, but total 52 points, 25 assists in those 44 minutes and three appearances. Um, it should be a, a, a situation where Jokic, I mean, they just don't, the Heat don't have the facilities to match up well against a Nikola Jokic or even a uh, Michael Porter Jr. on the outside at small forward. They don't have the length in that sense. And Bam Adebayo at 6'9 is basically their center. Uh, and Nikola Jokic is going to, I mean, you would imagine he's going to be able to post up Bam all day long. No problems. He's two inches taller than Jokic or than uh, Adebayo and basically 30 pounds heavier than Adebayo. The only thing that Adebayo has over Jokic is the fact that uh, Adebayo is probably a little more, not probably, definitely more athletic in terms of speed uh, and ability to get down the court. So I would imagine the Heat maybe try to lean more on a fast break uh, or, you know, points in transition uh, and getting back on defense uh, in transition, that sort of thing, and really trying to uh, gas out Nikola Jokic in that sense. But, I mean... It doesn't seem like it's mattered so so far. Nikola Jokic coming into this series, into the finals, he is a betting favorite. This is insane to me. A betting favorite at minus 125 the last time I checked. Minus 125 to average a triple-double in the finals. Minus 125 to average a triple-double in the finals is absolutely absurd. No player in the history of the NBA has ever averaged an M- a triple-double in the NBA finals. And Nikola Jokic is favored to do so at minus 125. In his stats by round, he averages 26.2 points per game, 12.4 rebounds per game, and nine point uh, nine assists per game in the first round. 34.5 points per game, 13.2 rebounds per game, and 10.3 assists per game in the second round. And then 27.8 points per game, 14.5 rebounds per game, and 11.8 assists per game. So he's only gotten better as the playoffs have gone on for the most part. He's scoring. He scored a little bit less from the second round to the third round, but he got more rebounds, got more assists per game in uh, in in the third round than he did in the second round. So it's not going to be I, I just it's a terrible matchup for the Miami Heat. I'll be interested. So I'll be interested to see what happens because of how good the Miami Heat are at game planning for that sort of situation where they have an incredible disadvantage against Nikola Jokic. And it is something that they should, they will be focusing on when it comes to game planning. Uh, And I'll be curious to see, I mean, you're not going to put Bam on him the entire series, obviously because of how well Jokic has played against Bam. So I'll be serious. I'll be curious to see what sort of matchups they throw at uh, Nikola Jokic to try to disrupt that sort of, I mean, 44 minutes, 52 points, 25 assists against Bam and three appearances. Um, you're going to have to find a, another way to, or another person, another player to throw at, uh, at Nikola Jokic in order to, uh, you know, try to disrupt him. Cause if Jokic gets whatever he wants, I mean, look, here's the thing for the most part, Jokic is going to get whatever he wants. I mean, that's just, Jokic has shown that time and time again, he's going to get his points, get his rebounds, get assists, and it's going to help that team into the NBA finals, obviously, and there and 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 further. Um, 
But I think the the key for the Heat as well will be trying to stop everybody else around him. We just saw Jamal Murray have an incredible series against the Los Angeles Lakers. He's been pretty good throughout these and uh, throughout these entire playoffs. So if you're able to maybe slow down Jamal Murray and make it a one man game with uh, somebody like Nikola Jokic, then you know, it'll be a situation where the Heat, and maybe that's what they're going to do. It'll be a situation where the Heat should be able to at least even the playing field with um, the Denver Nuggets. But if Jamal Murray has the series that he just had with uh, against the Lakers, then, I mean, this series is a wrap. It's it's over before it's even started. Um, but we'll see. I mean, the Heat have showed up time and time again, surprised everybody. Uh, Jimmy Butler is somebody that feels like he is going to just, I mean, and he wasn't even that great uh, in the back half of the series against the Celtics, but uh, it feels like when the lights get brighter, Jimmy Butler is going to show up and play as good as anybody in the league. Um, so we'll see. I, I don't. I don't know. And there, they, the Spolstra is definitely ahead in terms of the coaching matchup. Um, nothing against Mike Malone, but Spolstra, arguably the best coach in the league right now. So uh, there's nobody I would trust more to find disadvantages in the Nuggets game plan. Uh, than Eric Spolstra. So, game one, NBA Finals coming up on Wednesday? Thursday. I keep thinking it's Monday. It's Tuesday. Coming up on Thursday. So, we'll see. It'll all come down to that moment uh, in Denver, game one. Game one and game two in Denver, and then to Miami for three and four. Five in Denver, six in Miami, seven if necessary in Denver as well. So, see what happens. Go Nuggets, huh? Go Nuggets. It'd be cool to see the Denver Nuggets win it just because of regionality purposes, and they've never won it before. It'd be cool to see if the Nuggets... uh, can complete it, win the first NBA championship in franchise history. All right, let's move on. And that's enough basketball, I think, for today. Um, We also had two very important auto racing uh, events over the weekend, two famously Memorial Day staples. Uh, One, I think, probably on accident, and the other definitely not on accident. Uh, Indy 500 and the... Monaco Grand Prix in Monaco, obviously. Uh, and I wanted to say, I got a hot take. I got, I got, I got to get myself ready for the old hot take. Uh, I got a hot take. Uh, I'm more of an F1 fan. Uh, I don't really watch a whole lot of IndyCar, to be honest with you. Uh, but I really love Formula One. Uh, their schedule is a little dicey at times, obviously, when it comes to trying to watch a lot of their races because of their international schedule, if you will. They have a Singapore race that you have to be up by like two o'clock on a Sunday morning to watch. And you know, that becomes difficult at times, but uh, I like the personalities a lot more. I like the cars and F1 a lot more. Uh, I just think it's more of a fun and I just like the, the type of racing more. I don't know the different, like how to explain the difference. One's on a circular track, which is IndyCar. F1 is more a, uh, a, you know, unique track design, that sort of thing. I don't know how to explain it, but uh, I'm more of an F1 guy, but here's the thing about F1. That both of these, both of these racing leagues, quote unquote leagues, have two have marquee races um, that they both circle on the calendar uh, that are huge for promotion, uh, that are huge for just the entire auto racing industry in general. Uh, for both of these leagues. Uh, IndyCar being the Indy 500, obviously, that was happening this weekend. Um, And then F1 being Monaco, obviously, happening this weekend as well. Um, But my hot take is this. The Indy 500 is a substantially, substantially better race than the Monaco Grand Prix. Uh, The Monaco Grand Prix, I think F1 has a serious issue on their hands 
Um, and they probably don't see it this way on it, uh, honestly, because of how much attention the Monaco Grand Prix gets, um, especially beforehand. It is very much a very cool location for a race. It's right in the middle of Monaco, right on the coastline. It's such a, it's a very, very cool venue. Um, it would be one, uh, one of my top five, you know, uh, sporting events I'd want to go to would be the Monaco Grand Prix. But with that being said, it is very, very much a, uh, for the most part, a dull race when it comes to the F1 calendar. Um, the F1, I, I have the overtaking data here to going back to, I think it's 1984. Uh, Monaco in itself, by itself, is a race that is largely known to a lot of people, I think, uh, as being a very boring race in the grand scheme of things. I think a lot of people don't enjoy watching Monaco. They enjoy Monaco for the pomp and circumstance that it brings towards F1 and the promotion that it brings to F1 because it's, you know, one, it's the biggest race on the calendar because of how unique it is. It's a street uh, race right through the center of Monaco. Again, right on the coastline. It's a beautiful track to watch a race at. Uh, it's very unique in that sense. Uh, but it's got a real issue uh, when it comes to the actual enjoyment of watching the race, uh, especially on TV. It'd be a lot cooler to be there in person to actually watch it. Uh, but on TV, it is a very dull race to have to watch because of uh, Monaco as a Grand Prix in general. I think I've talked about this before last year when we talked about the Monaco Grand Prix. Um, but it's the as the cars have evolved in that sport, um, they've become longer, they've become bigger, and Monaco as a track has not evolved at all because it's you know it's on the actual streets in Monaco, so you can't really widen the streets or anything like that to make it uh, a more fun track to or a more fun race to watch just for that reason to make it a more fun race to watch. Um, so it's become a lot more difficult for these cars to try to overtake one another in the tiny very, very close quarters tracks, uh, track of Monaco. Um, and with that being said, uh, here are some of the overtaking data. So this year, this pat, this one that was on Sunday was one of the most, um, overtake heavy, uh, uh, races for Monaco in recent memory. Uh, and it's mainly because it started raining towards the back third of the race. So guys were, uh, racers were, pitting for uh, different tires and then uh, people didn't have the the correct tires on at the right time. So they were slipping and sliding all over the track that allowed other, uh, other racers to get into position to overtake. So they had 22 overtakes in this race in the, the race this past weekend, which is a huge outlier in uh, Monaco's history back in 2022. I'm just going to go down the list in 2022. It was 13 overtakes. They only had 13 overtakes in that entire race to give perspective about the actual races around them in general. Um, 13 was in 2021, the lowest, not by far Singapore's in there as well, which is also a pretty tight track, uh, similar to Monaco. It only had 16, but in a lot of the other races that happened on actual tracks, like Belgium had 74 overtakes. Hungary had 61. Austria had 67, uh, 34 in Australia, which is another street track as well, but 34 is a lot. 52 in Miami, 48 in Spain. I'm just going down the list. 35 in Canada. You get the point. A lot of overtakes in a lot of these other races. The Netherlands had 23, which was another one. Back in 2021 uh, in Monaco, in the race in Monaco in 2021. This isn't a joke. This is this is real. Zero overtakes. Zero overtakes in Monaco in 2021. In 2019, they didn't have one in 2020, obviously. In 2019, they had two overtakes, the Monaco Grand Prix, four in 2018. 2017, there were three. 
in Monaco 2016. There were 14, a little outlier there. 10 in 2015, uh, 10 in 2014, 17 in 2013, and in 2012, 13. So you get the point. Uh, In my opinion, as the marquee race for Formula One, um, this should be the race that a lot of people talk about, not just before the actual race happens, but also after the race happens. Nobody wants to talk about Monaco after it happens because it is such a slog of an actual race. There's 78 laps, and even this year, Max Verstappen, and it was pretty fun towards the back, the back third because of uh, the rain coming down. But towards the, the the end of the race, with Max Verstappen leading the race, he was up by like 25 seconds on Fernando Alonso. We know we knew who was going to win the race, and that's kind of been a problem for F1 throughout the season. The Red Bull cars have just been substantially better, uh, basically in every section for uh than any of the other cars in the entire uh in the entire field so that's kind of been a problem this entire season but um for it to be in monaco and the fact that year after year as it being the premier race for formula one uh it to be as boring as it really is it's just not a fun race to sit down and watch uh because of how dull it can be you compare that to the marquee race in indycar the indy 500 which for like three quarters of the race, it was more or less smooth sailing, similar to the Monaco Grand Prix. But uh, this one was a lot more entertaining uh, because with 16 laps to go, we had a red flag in uh, in that race with uh, Felix Rosenquist sliding into the wall. That sent a, a tire flying into the stands. Almost it would have killed somebody if it hit somebody, but thankfully went into the parking lot, hit somebody's car. That was fun. It flew in. The, the the tire flew in. It had wings of its own. Just flew into the parking lot. Destroyed somebody's Chevy Malibu. Uh, and that was the first of three red flags that we see in the last 16 laps. And then towards the end, there were two cars that were right next to each other with two laps left. They were battling it out. Uh, and it ends up, it, it, there ended up having, being controversy at the very end because of a quote-unquote dragon move down the final straightaway. And it led to uh, Joseph Newgarden winning the race. And now we have... Uh, article after article after article of talking about controversy in uh, the Indy 500 because of the way that the the race finished. It's just you don't see that for Monaco at all. There's just no there's no uh, controversy for Monaco. It's basically hey, Monaco is very much a a racers uh, an intro to F1 because this is you know the race that everybody knows. Hey, watch this race. Even honestly, it, for that race, I wouldn't tell people if they're getting into F1 to even watch that race. To be honest with you, because of how dull it is. Watch a lot of the other races, though. Watch uh, Spain's coming up. That that's usually a pretty entertaining race because of how wide open that one can get. Uh, Singapore is even an entertaining race, even though it's similar to Monaco in the sense that it's very small, very uh, very compact, but it's on a lesser sense uh, than um, than uh, Monaco in that sense. But Belgium's always a fun track to watch. Uh, the Circuit of Americas in Austin is one of my favorite tracks in the entire uh, field. That's one of the best tracks in the world. I love watching that race. That one's a fantastic race to watch. Uh, that one is so watch that one just that would be Monaco would really for somebody that's getting into the Formula One circuit Monaco would probably be the last race I'd tell people to watch because how of how dull it can be uh, and how dull it usually is I mean we just went through all those overtakes on that list and uh, that's usually the situation for Monaco you're getting whoever's first second third I mean your top five in qualifying is usually how it's going to end up. It might be jumbled just a little bit because of certain pitch strategies and stuff like that, but it's not going to change that drastically uh, as the race goes on because nobody can overtake one another because of how narrow and uh, and confined it is compared to how much bigger 
the actual cars are at this point compared to when they first basically invented uh, the Monaco Grand Prix back in what well, was the 1920s, essentially. Um, so, you know, it just it's just it's frustrating to see that sort of stuff because Monaco and F- Formula One has so much more to offer than what Monaco really ends up being year in, year out. It is a race that if you had to pick a race to go to, I think Monaco would probably be the one that I'd want to do just because of it is really incomparable to how picturesque it really is. I mean, you could be watching uh, the Grand Prix with all the cars and everything and then walk out of the the stanchion that you're at and be on a main street in Monaco. I mean, it is incredibly unique in that sense. Um, but as for trying to get somebody into the watching of Formula One, that is one of the, uh, on television at least, that is one of the last races I will tell people to watch because of how... Um, Dole it is just year in year out and it being the marquee race for formula one, I think is an issue. I really think it is. It is not uh, the race that you want to introduce people to the sport. in. I think, I think it is somebody that it's a race that you can um, really get people into. If they've watched a lot of the other races, because they're kind of into it now at this point, they're into the idea of formula one and a lot of the strategy and stuff like that. They have a favorite team, um, and that sort of thing. So at that point, then you can maybe uh, you can maybe drag them into watching uh, something like Monaco. But before that, I mean, just watch really any of the other races on the schedule, except maybe Azerbaijan. Azerbaijan similar to Singapore and Monaco as well, uh, where it's a street course. It's very tight knit. Um, it's not the best for, you know, uh, overtakes or anything like that. But, you know, there are plenty of other uh, races that are fantastic at that. They're much more palpable for um, actual race situations and actual racetracks. It'll be interesting to see what they do for Vegas because we've seen the Vegas track and everything. Um, and that one, I mean, it's not going to become the marquee because it's on the West side of uh, the United States. And that's really alienating a lot of the European uh, fans of the sport. Um, but we'll, I mean, we'll see because Las Vegas is going to be very, uh, it's going to be very picturesque as well. Cause it's going right through the strip of Las Vegas. So um, we'll see. We'll see what, I mean, I don't think they're going to have to change anything, honestly, because it's formula one and people are going to come out to watch Monaco regardless. Um, but I just think in comparison, because they're both going on the difference in reaction to both marquee races for both, uh, racing organizations and the Indy 500 and Monaco Grand Prix are so palpable and so different. Um, and the Indy, the Indy 500, um, a lot of the reports afterwards, make you want to watch that a lot more than the Monaco one, because for Monaco, it is very much. Yeah, that happened as expected because it's Monaco. Now, granted, it wasn't like that this year because of the rain, the rain kind of came in and saved a lot of that race, uh, in terms of watchability. But, um, for the most part, it, I mean, a lot of the Monaco, uh, Grand Prix are, it was very much more of the same. Okay. That's my spiel on, Indy 500, Formula One, big races over the weekend, over Memorial Day weekend. I don't think Monaco Grand Prix, the Monaco plans it that way to be it over Memorial Day weekend for the U.S., obviously, uh, but it worked out perfectly. I mean, how about that? It was perfect time for that. Indy, uh, Indy car, the Indy 500 obviously plans it around that sort of thing, um, but it was, uh, it was a good weekend for, for both of them. Uh, again, Formula One is going to make a ton of money and get promoted a ton because of it just being Monaco. But I think it got outshined by the Indy 500 this, uh, this year. And the fact that they happened both on the same weekend, I don't think helped in that sense. Um, but let's move on. I'm going to talk about something very quickly here because we are running short on time. Um, it is almost, well, almost as maybe a strong work. 
you know, four months out of college football, and that gets me into the mood. You know, I'm I'm getting ready for college football, okay? Uh, and I don't think there's been really anything more talked about in college football this offseason. I'm trying to say I'm racking my brain right now uh, than Deion Sanders and the University of Colorado. I think that's been one of the, if not the biggest storyline story of all of college football, uh, one of the biggest storylines in all of college football. Um, but something we need to talk about, we're talking about, uh, I mean, a lot of the conversation around Colorado has been the expected success because of the hiring of Deion Sanders, uh, the fact that he's going to pull in recruits like crazy out of the transfer portal, uh, and, uh, as well as recruiting because it's Deion Sanders, it's prime. One of the coolest dudes to ever play the game of football and maybe even coach the game of football. One of the coolest dudes to ever, uh, coach and play one, the game of football. Um, but with that being said, he was able to more or less turn around Jackson State as an HBCU in terms of football. Um, we'll see how much they can kind of last that long. I know they've probably been um, more or less gutted by the fact that Deion Sanders left. A lot of those kids went to Jackson State because Deion Sanders was the head coach at Jackson State. So the fact that he left and the accessibility of the transfer portal uh, probably did not help their situation at all. And a lot of the uh, Jackson State players moved on towards to play at Colorado. Um, but with that being said, after their spring game at, uh, the Colorado spring game, uh, back in, I think this was April, early April, literally a month ago, give or take, uh, they've had the Colorado, Colorado Buffalo have had 18 players enter the transfer portal after that spring game. And, um, we got to talk about what is success for Colorado at this point. Colorado has been terrible, uh, as a football school, the past Five to seven years, I want to say. I mean, they haven't had a winning season since 2016, if you don't count 2020, because they were four and two. I don't really count 2020. Um, but uh, in 2016, they were 10 and four. Since then, they went five and seven in 2017, five and seven in 2018, five and seven in 2019. Uh, 2021, they were four and eight, and then one and 11 uh, last year. So as for Prime, Coach Prime, what do we see as success for that team? Do we see uh, two years as being successful for Colorado, given everything that he has brought, that Coach Prime has brought to that program uh, already? That is already he's already brought to that program uh, media availability. I mean, just just the fact that he's brought uh, tons of money into the school because of uh, ticket sales. Tickets, I think, our season tickets have already been sold out for a lot of their home, almost all of their home games this year, uh, and then basically, you know, a lot of the media attention that. Coach Prime has brought along with him is has more or less paid for itself as well uh, for Colorado, and they've been one of the biggest stories in all of college football during the offseason. But how much more interesting is it going to be for uh, fans and you know media in general when if Colorado ends up going two and ten? You know, uh, you can look at their schedule right now, and they have a brutal schedule. A brutal schedule. Uh, they start the season off on the road at TCU. The uh, the runner defending runner-ups in the national championship got hammered by Georgia, but nonetheless made it there regardless. So that is more than likely a loss. They go at home against Nebraska. They haven't Nebraska hasn't been great either, but they got a new head coach and Matt Rule. So a new situation there. Matt Rule's been uh, a really solid head coach when he was coaching for Baylor before he went up to uh, the Carolina Panthers in the NFL. He's a very solid head coach for uh, the Baylor Bears when he was down in college football. So. Nebraska could be on the turnaround. Uh, Colorado State, that's probably a win. Uh, Colorado State's not great, and they're at home in Colorado at Colorado. So 
that's probably a win. I think Coach Prime and Colorado should be able to beat Colorado State. Uh, but then they're at Oregon. That's a loss. Versus USC, that's a loss. At Arizona State, that's a tough game. Probably a loss. Uh, they're also kind of rebuilding as well, Arizona State is, after Herm Edwards got fired. So you could put that down as a win. I, I could see them winning that game. But then you're versus Stanford in a Friday game. That's probably a loss. Uh, that one's that one's close. We'll, and that one's on the edge there. That one could be a win, but that one's uh, I'm going to put that down as a loss. At UCLA, that's a loss. Versus Oregon State, feisty team in Oregon State, that's a loss. Uh, versus Arizona, another team that gave problems to a couple teams. He was They were feisty as well. That's a loss in my opinion. At Washington State, that's a loss. Another Friday game. And then at Utah, that's a loss. So in my head, my head cannon here, given we haven't seen crazy substantial turnarounds in college football very often. You have to be one of a, a very, 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 very good head coach uh, in college football to have a one-year turnaround uh, like we're expecting Coach Prime to have. And I just went down the list and I see two wins, possibly three. Is that a success for Colorado at this point? Three and what, nine? Is that a success for Colorado? Would Colorado fans be happy going three for nine on the season after the offseason that they just had? I'd be curious to know. I don't know how many Colorado Buffalo fans I have. Uh, and is it Buffaloes or Buffalo? I always thought Buffalo was already plural. If it's Buffaloes, I apologize. But I, I thought Buffalo was already plural. Whatever. Not really the point. Um, but I'd be curious to see how Colorado fans react. Because at this point, if you're looking at the schedule right now, you're probably looking at one in five uh, after six games, right? With the one win coming from Colorado State at home. TCU a loss, Nebraska a loss, Oregon a loss, USC a loss. I think that's fair. And then uh, at Arizona State, which I'll put as a as a uh, as a win, but uh, so one and four, excuse me, through five games, one and four through five games. How are Colorado fans feeling at that point? If that is the case, are there already firings being had? Like where where is the situation? Because like where do we mark success for Colorado? If three and nine is success. I'm not trying to say either way, which way I believe I, I, you know, it's, you have to have a lot of context here with Colorado because of how bad they've been the last five years, seven years almost. Um, and I think three and nine, uh, it just, it's up to the fan. Like, how do they feel after, if they go one and five through the, or one and four through the first five games, I just, and they finish the season three and nine, like, is that a success for Colorado fans because of what Deion Sanders was able to bring in, in the offseason? you're willing to give him a year or are you having issues with the fact that you went that if you go three and nine uh, with Coach Prime? Like, are you seeing a lot of change there uh, in that sense? So I, I'm just curious. I'm curious to see. That is just something I found interesting uh, to talk about because of how brutal their schedule is throughout the season. Their non-conference schedule sucks uh, at TCU. That's that's tough. Uh, versus Nebraska a year ago, that was probably a very winnable game. Uh, but I think Matt Rule is going to be able to do make that team a little bit better. I don't think they're going to be all that much better than they were under Scott Frost, but I think uh, in terms of value as a head coach, how good Matt rule was at Baylor. We've seen what he can do with a team that's kind of down on their luck, like Baylor when they were going through a lot of the issues that they had um, off the field. When uh, Matt rule came in, they were, they started, he started to turn that, that, uh, that program around before leaving to Carolina to go coach at the Carolina Panthers. So I think uh, if anybody can do it, I think Matt rule is a good pick for Nebraska. So we'll see Colorado state. I mean, that's a disaster for uh, also a disastrous team in Colorado. So we'll see. I, I was just, I wanted to pose the question so that I could have answers from Colorado fans. I'm assuming we have Colorado fans in the audience that listen to the show. 
Uh, and I'd just be curious to see what they have to say about the entire Deion Sanders situation and where they would be feeling um, if they, you know, end up going three, nine or whatever, if you end up, uh, you know, five wins or more, four plus wins or more, honestly, uh, with the schedule that they have, it's a success in my opinion. I don't, I don't think you can be upset because you're going to have to upset at least one team. In my opinion, if I'm looking at spreads, I would imagine they're going to be dogs in a lot of these games. If not all of them, maybe other than Colorado state, uh, I could see them being favorites in that, but all the other ones, they could legitimately be dogs. Uh, and every other thing in every other one of those games, I would not be stunned if that was the case. So if, he, if they walk out four plus wins on their schedule, um, I, I think you can't be anything but uh, happy at that point. So it'll be interesting to see college football still, you know, granted still three, four months away. So it's a little early to be talking about this sort of stuff. But I just I saw their schedule for like the first time a couple of weeks ago. And I just wanted to talk about that because um, the opinions should change with expectations uh, depending on. The situation, I think, and that's one of those situations, in my opinion. Uh, all right, that, ladies and gentlemen, is going to wrap up the show this week. I want to thank you very much for tuning in. Thank you very much to Jack and Kathleen Wood from 307 Real Estate for sponsoring the show. Make sure you contact them from all for all of your real estate needs, buying or selling. Uh, they're the people to talk to for um, all of your real estate needs. And uh, yeah, make sure to rate this show on all your podcasting platforms that you're listening from. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, you know the gist by now. Give us a five-star rating. I'd greatly appreciate that. Uh, and uh, yeah, this has been the Weekend Sports Wrap Podcast, and I have been your host, James Timberlake.